Welcome back to Beyond Classified. I'm Chris Matthew. Today, my guest is David Devine. He is creator of the ADAPT 2030 Climate Preparedness Channels and Many Ice Age Conversations podcast and author of The Climate Revolution. David, welcome back. How you doing? Yeah, thanks for having me back in this bizarre world that we exist in where things are changing by the minute, narratives by the hour, and your life by uh, the prices going up and up and up that don't seem to be ending anytime soon. Yeah, we live in a critical time, I believe, in our history. It is great to talk to you again. We're overdue for some updates about not only our Earth and solar changes, but the chaos, like you were just speaking of, that we've witnessed as a society. I believe that, like I said, we're at a critical point in our human history. Uh, The world we used to know, it will never exist again, I don't believe. Uh, The future is, in some ways, completely up to us. But in some ways, we just need to prepare for some things that we can't change. Uh, Now, David, it's been a while since you've been on. Could you remind the audience a little bit just about yourself and what led you down your path you're on? Yeah, I run the ADAPT 2030 channel and the Mini Ice Age Conversations podcast. And when I was buying coffee in Myanmar, I discussed and learned with the farmers over there about cold weather crop losses in the coffee farms. And for me, that made no sense because it was global warming, right? Quote, unquote. But then I was just doing some research as a coffee buyer and looking out to see, can we get more supply for the next five years? So I started to have some in-depth conversations and the bean quality was um, a little bit less for roasters out there. You know what I mean? There's There was gaps in the beans because the water froze and it left these pockets in there. So, you know, roasters profiles changed, a a lot of top leaf damage, and then they had to replace a lot of plantings because they froze in the fields. So then they talked about how their grandfathers or great grandfathers experienced something when the English were trying to become and put that out as a cash crop in Burma, that country that you know of back in the 1800s. That sent me on that little tiny quest to see, oh, is it a cycle from the 1800s and the late 1880s? Can is it going to happen again? How long is it going to be? And then I met John Casey, started talking with a lot of other people. And then suddenly I realized, well, we're in a cycle, a civilization shifting cycle here. And that's why it makes sense why all these things are happening. It's a natural cycle that is going to play itself out anyway. And it seems like the elite are riding on top of a natural cycle to whatever their end means or their goal is, they're riding on top of this to achieve that goal. This is going to happen with or without them. This our diminished food production and global crop yields. We're going to decline anyway, with or without fertilizer shortages or global warming or whatever. The, the jet streams and cloud cells are out of place because of the weakening magnetosphere, which is in base from the sun. Also, the changing magnetic fields and the strength of our sun. It's a cycle. Yeah. And if you were the elite and you knew there would be declined or depleted or diminished crop yields globally, then what would you do? What if you knew there wouldn't be enough food for all the people coming up right now in a natural cycle, then how would you disguise it? How would you deflect it? How would you place blame? And then how would you create the chaos and the economic devastation to bring in a new monetary system? Because the old one's not going to work. And once you start chasing down these dots and you see how they do connect during this time frame of this cycle repeating this grand solar minimum that has reset society every single time it appears. Yeah, I and just, that's why you see a lot of bonehead moves. But if you look at it from that perspective, it's not a bonehead move. It's a continuity of government move. Yeah, it just makes you wonder if 
a more benevolent leaders and rulers were in place, would it be any different? Would they have told us about this? Uh, there's so many aspects that you just said that I want to break down a bit, though. First, uh, last time when we talked, which was right before the COVID agendas really started kicking off hardcore, and you really prophetically stated that there will be major changes in our society within a year or two, and look at us now. Uh, but the thing is, did you see the kind of speed that these agendas would be rolling out. They're rolling out hard and fast since 2020. It's like they are on some sort of um, uh, time crunch in a way. Did you think that this would roll out as fast as it did? No. And I thought it would take place of a full economic devastating crash like we're seeing now. I thought that would be the thing to lock the planet down. Because let me step back for a second. Now, if you trace back in history, and I've done a good bit of research going back 2,400 years, and that's the last six of these grand solar minimums. So if we go back to, say, 400 BC onward, you can start to see this fingerprint. And these three things happen every grand solar minimum. I call it the fingerprint of the grand solar minimum. Population migration, economic reset, and then government overthrow. Or the way that governments operate has to change with the vibration frequency is going to be different to So from a top-down approach, the way they're doing it now it's just not going to work in the future as we step forward because it never has. And you'll notice the restructuring of governance itself happens every 400 years, along with new monetary systems that come in play. And then the population has moved around. And right away when I saw their travel restrictions, I thought, OK, this is how they're going to stop the, the movement this time, because you can't have a billion people going down to the equator when they know it's going to be cheaper down there. More food's going to grow there. People in the West have a lot more money. They could easily end up a billion um, people with different religion, different thoughts, different beliefs, a lot more money, a lot more animosity moving into a place and just overwhelm equatorial grow areas. And then that would just cause trouble in itself. So you start to see a lot of these matchups. And now we're coming into the economic phase, which I thought was going to be the phase to lock the planet down, but it was COVID. Still happening on the timeline. So anybody out there that wants to know where the initial end of our first timeline goes out of waves, there's two waves. The first wave culminates in October of 2024. So that'll give you some time frame of how fast things need to march forward, change and morph from now to then. After that, whoever's left, and I do say that seriously, whoever lives through this and makes it is going to experience another wave from say 2027, which is going to be really intense. 2028 will be the deepest of it. And then from that point forward, things will start to more stabilize and uh, whatever solidifies at that point, governmentally, economically, societally will stick for the next couple hundred years, 400. Right. Well, you think this is, this is cyclical uh, within a 400 year cycle where we could be, you know, completely set, uh, reset as far as our government, our economics, our, our, our um, monetary system, all of it. Absolutely. But it seems like it happens a little bit faster on sort of a 200 year cycle where these resets on the 200 year and then we get the massive 400 year, which is, I mean, societal collapse and reset. Hmm. And you start to see it. You just wonder why nothing ever lasted from that. If the structures of government were so good and the money was so good and everything was so good, why has it never lasted ever? And I, you know, I point back to the Chinese. You know, these dynasties were at the apex of, like we are now, the apex of uh, economy and uh, engineering and whatever you can possibly think of of sciences and medicine and all these things that we think we're the top of. Mm. Every single society that's collapsed was the top of its top also. 
why does it always collapse was my whole thing from the ancient cultures to the more moderns, say 2000 years prior, Roman era, all the way to now, everything always collapses. Why? If it's such perfection and moving and we're at the apex, why would it ever collapse? Is the, and that's really the way I started to look at a lot of these other questions. You know, why do you think it collapses? Because, I mean, I could ask you the same thing. Like we go through these ebbs and flows of history and you've studied yeah, I mean, way you, a ton of history. You're you're spot on. It seems like we get to this pinnacle of technology and kind of uh, consciousness evolution. And then we start to we see this something resets us from what you're saying. This is this is big and it's huge and it's every 400 years. And it would make sense how uh, humanity has amnesia over and over. And we can't even get accurate information about. Out, you know our past from even a couple of hundred years ago because our history has been rewritten so much um, I want to help the audience understand what exactly is what happens in space what is cosmically happening with our Sun that is causing this we have to look at two different perceptions of what our star is is it a fusion based atomical fire engine up there and fire furnace or is it powered from an external source plasma and the plasma sheath on the outside of our sun is what you're seeing glowing so what is it really are these berkling currents these currents uh you know think of an electrical line in the sky and here's the thing that blew my mind too when i started to put this in perspective you think the electrical line in the sky you think that the electricity is on the inside running down that copper on the inside. That copper creates a magnetic field and the electric charge runs on that on the outside of the wire. They're delivering you the electricity. When you break that, like sometimes you'll see people cut it. Well, that's everything flowing into whatever handheld instrument you have. So we're talking about electromagnetic and it blew my mind that they only create the magnetic field in the wire to let the electricity run down that wire they're not pushing it they're creating the magnetic field for it to move that blew my mind they're not really sending electricity to you as a push down a copper wire the magnetic field's delivering it to you now once you put that in perspective and then you can scale it up to the sun that whatever is flowing in these things called Birkeland currents think of them as gigantic you know solar system size current flows through plasma medium reaching our star what well, seems that in there there's an electrical heartbeat because you cannot tell me with a straight face that the 11 year solar cycle when we go to solar maximum and solar minimum on a regular 11 or 11.8 year i'll be a little more exact your cycle goes from flaring sunspots to absolute quiet for two years on a regular heartbeat pattern and it's an internally fired star that just magically takes a break every 11 years. Okay, we're not going to we're not going to fuse right now. We're going to chill. You can't tell me that. And then when you go on longer term patterns, you can start to see ebbs and flows of heat and cool. But then we'll take it out to the ice age eras. I'm only talking about the last say 12,000 years of the interglacial or the Holocene era. You can see ebbs and flows in there too. There's hot periods, there's cold periods, there's hot periods, there's cold periods. So what is causing that on our sun to flicker in and out? And really what causes it to flicker out so much that we go into 90,000 years of ice compared to where we sit today, where I have green grass and elderberry trees and currant plants growing in my front yard out here. 
we're going to be covered in ice down here. What changes that? What causes it? it can only be electromagnetic. And this is the whole thing. Once you start to look at this and frame it in that reference of something else is powering our star, it's electrical. It has a frequency to it and it has a mappable frequency. When you're looking at different wave frequencies or waveforms inside sound, we can use acoustics because we're both talking. You can see our voice patterns. But when you measure, you know, in science, when it starts to measure electricity, you'll start to see what do you think that EKG is in people's hospital rooms? And when we talk about virus, we can talk about hospitals. Okay, you got your heart plugged up to something. What's it doing? It's making that frequency when your heart beeps. And when it beats, excuse me, it makes the beep. Think about our sun with a heartbeat also, but externally, like your house is externally powered. Our sun, I do believe, is on a Berkeley current flow. I think all the stars are always connected between these uh, filamentary ropes that are um, twisting in on themselves. So they call it field-aligned currents. Well, these positive negative current flows come into the stars and then the local solar system has also affected the planets. So there's a lot of unanswered questions. And once you frame it into, we know we're going into a low activity, which is going to diminish the amount of food grown on the planet. And I'm going to roll back into the same thing again. But, you know, what happened in history that we lost history? We lose history so much. It's hard, you know, and me doing the research, I found it so incredibly difficult to find anything prior to 800 AD that was very solid in terms of anything. You know, there was billions of people that had lived from that time, from let's say the year zero until the year 800, there were more than a billion people that came into this world and died. And we still have no, barely any records and go further back. It's like, oh, here's a piece of rock. Let's fill in the rest. And you know, your channel sums it up perfectly. Forbidden knowledge <laughs> news and forbidden knowledge is where we sit with this Berkeley currents because the same thing, we could power our devices from the ether itself without having to use electrical wires, we could be using the same thing. Tesla and Marconi, Dr. Brown, many others had pushed into on, uh, you know, powering something from that same current flow that exists around us in all space. Now, it makes me wonder how far back these elites, these 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 individuals that think they they control the planet have known about this and have been kind of surviving these cycles and then um, restarting civilization under uh, false history, false information, just to keep us in that same darkness that they've kept us for maybe thousands of years because they've been the ones in control, they've been the ones knowing these cycles are occurring, and they may come out of it on the other end a little better than everyone else because they've been better prepared for it uh what do you think about that and how far back do you think the these you know um multi-generational bloodlines you could say have been in control of this 3500 years at the minimum now you have to understand what is happening with continuity of government and how that affects our food prices and rail deliveries and barges that have gone missing and a lot of things in the supply chain breakdown this narrative is a supply chain breakdown, is it not? Oh, things aren't delivered here. Nothing's running on time. Ships are here. Oh, things are off. Factories are, are closing. Or you could look at it as these elite that have the same amount of power are still pumping it out. 
But when you lose 25% of all the rail carriages across the United States, where did they go? North America just lost 25% of its rail cars. For me, that's they're being packed up and sent underground. Mm. What happened to all the shipping containers? What a Hop Hog Lloyd had to order 1.5 million new 40 foot or 53 foot shipping containers. Where does a million and a half shipping containers go? You can't tell me that they're all sitting on boats waiting on, to offload on China. That's a great excuse. But in a million and a half containers packed full of essentials like um, anything that could repair electrical equipment. How about new, uh, what do you say, capacitors, transistors, anything larger that we get out to move electricity across cities, transformers. So can you imagine the continuity of government? If you really knew this cycle was here and you controlled all industry and all banking like it is now, there's just a few families that control all of it and everybody else steps in line. It's like they're, they're trying to appease an entity is really, in my opinion, they're trying to appease the entity that they worship, trying to appease it, whatever it is that everybody flows in and now all resources are directed toward that continuity of, I'm not even going to say government, I'm going to say continuity of, of entity or continuity of family money. Whatever it is that this force that drives these groups of people. So don't believe the supply chains have just broken down because of COVID. That's a great excuse. Mm. But I think a lot of it's being packed up. And here's, a, here's my last thing, Chris. Like the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, we'll talk about this in a second. They are not going to be able to deliver for their corn contracts this year because the pledged deliveries are, I want it for sure is the, the record most in history. And it actually exceeds the amount of corn that they have that they can get this year. Because, you know, paper trades can go way deeper than actual physical. This is where they're going to get bit in the butt because they got so much paper out there on corn contracts. But now a huge amount of the, the papers is going to turn into physical. And they're like, whoa, 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 that hundred to one uh, that just broke the bank. But here's the thing. If you take delivery, you're going to want to get it on flat barges and try to get it down the Mississippi through the lock system to take it out into a loading terminal, St. Louis, for example, there's a whole bunch of loading terminals down the Mississippi. You don't have to go down to Louisiana, but there's a barge traffic. There's a barge shortage too. And I'm like, how can there be a barge shortage? Dude, it's a square thing that floats on there. Is it really that difficult to build more square things that float on the water that don't even have motors? You push them with a the tug. Like how difficult it is to build a square thing. I really, I, it's, these things baffle me well, I grew up in South Louisiana stop. near near the ports and near New Orleans, and there was a ridiculous amount of bar. Like, I don't think we could have ever run out of the barges just in that area of Louisiana alone. I mean, you know, I'd walk down like streets or drive down roads and see miles and miles and miles of just barges. So that to yeah. me is extremely ridiculous. It's like uh, creating an illusion of scarcity uh, so that they can pretty much come out on top and have everything they need and, you know, screw us. See, that's how you, they retain the power. Because if you were able to have a full working society, at least at the level where we are now, and you were able to maintain that by stockpiling everything of the apex of the society to bring you through and kept all the advances of what's not public yet, probably 30, 50 years in advance, and you put all that underground and then you just waited and you emerged again, you would still be the top pinnacle families and the top pinnacle elite. Just you're re-emerging as a full functional society and the rest of everybody got set back 50 years into more of a agrarian, say pioneering lifestyle. And these guys are popping out with the, you know, electro weightless craft and like, you will worship us now, you know? 
Yeah, that the the uh, level that we're seeing the changes occur since 2020 to now. I mean, just look at how gas prices. Just a perfect example of the changes that we've seen since then. And it's I don't see it ever going back down. I don't see how anything we're doing right now can be sustainable. And it makes me wonder how much longer until we're just you know in complete Mad Max territory where people can't afford food or water or shelter anymore. And uh, it's every man and woman for themselves. October of this year. That's pretty close. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. We kind of run out of time here. Uh, I'm not going to say you have run out of time, but it's dangerously close. So let me let me push it out for you. This is exactly I've been talking about this on my timelines. See, I was talking about the fertilizer shortages wreaking havoc on the markets and the uh, ability to grow food like you know, last year mm. before the fertilizer shortages were even spoken of here. So you see if industries had come clean and let their uh, information out that there was going to be a massive fertilizer shortage this year in 2022. So, you know, it took a bunch of reports and, you know, add a little number here and a couple percent there. And it came out to about 20, let's just call it an even 20% of all fertilizer not going to be around in the world. Well, then we get into with all these droughts and we have all these, you know, semi-war things going on. And then suddenly Ukraine happened and then you're like, whoa, 30% of the world's exportable grains just disappeared. Well, wait, then we also need to add in the fertilizer shortages, what that was going to knock off the grain yields. And then we have all this resource nationalism. And that's, that's set A, and you can just digest on that all you want on if you lose 35% of the world's corn this year, that's not going to come out of the ground or not be delivered. Then what's that going to do for the prices of everything in supermarkets and feed and all this? But then you swing right over and go, oh, we're about to lose 30% of the world's wheat this year too. Now, that's not export embargoes from the Black Sea and everything. We're strictly talking about the amount of wheat not going to be grown because of the fertilizers that are not being delivered. And it really amplified in this whole outages and ammonia, you know, producer fires and, well, and how many food down. And then uh, the whole processing plants have been, have been set on fire too this year. I mean, come on. This is this has become ridiculously obvious what they're doing. All the things to produce the fertilizer went down too. It's not like there was just a fertilizer shortage. All the base constituents in those refineries and things, they need to pull the ammonia and get the natural gas. And uh, all these things, they just went down all at once. So there's really been very little fertilizer production even since everybody's screaming fertilizer production or fertilizer shortage. So where we're going to come to next is going to be the crop tours. And through this July, next month, at the end of July, into the first week of August, they're going to come out. With, I wouldn't say final, but they're getting a real good indication on if it's going to be good, very good, bad, or you know, horrible quality in the fields. We're already looking at some ridiculous numbers of like 40, 40, 45% of just bad quality. That's never going to emerge into much. So once the crop tours are finished and they come out with these dismal numbers, and then Europe is just, they're losing a, a, an enormous amount of their crops too from the the windstorms, the droughts, the hailstorms, uh, the embargoes and all these things, the self-embargoes from now uh, the Ukraine, they don't have enough natural gas to even, you know, run factories at the moment. Like, how are they going to have enough diesel to go harvest the fields? It's just not happening in Europe. They're even worse off than we are. South America is going to have a huge amount of ash from the Tonga eruption, which is going to disrupt agriculture for another full year down there. They're going to have a mini year without a summer like it was after the Tambora eruption but mainly focused in the Southern hemisphere. So they're not gonna be able to grow really a lot to save the day from the Northern hemisphere shortages. Now that all comes to roost in September when the first deliveries of corn and wheat are out on the Chicago 
board of exchange. But then uh, once they're not going to be able to deliver and they can't call force majeure and whatever, there's going to be a whole amount of things we've never seen happen in financial markets before ever happen. It's really going to hit at December delivery because they're all going to be like, give me my corn. And remember every day that the clearinghouses don't deliver and they still have their contract open, they're getting fined by the day. And the farmers that can't deliver on their contract grow either because maybe they were uh, too much rain, too much drought. They couldn't get like, let's say a uh, thousand tons of corn and they can only get 800, but they pledge a thousand. Their contract is still open and they get fined by the day as a farm not delivering. So whoever's out there is going to be trying to buy it and bid it up at any price to get it so they can close their contract. And you're going to watch banks just go out left, right, and center as this happens because the clearinghouses are subsidiaries of other banks. And this is where it's going to get nasty at the end with the uh, economic thing. So I was just seeing today that Bank of England had uh, done their bail-in protocol run today. And that's where we sit. So, you know, as we come into October, the reason I was trying to explain that is you, uh, you're going to feel it right then. That's incredible. Now, speaking of things that we're going to witness and feel and see, it's not just going to be our social and economic and food shortages, but we're going to see some pretty crazy shit happening in the sky, cosmic changes, the sun Ooh, changes. I mean, well, <laughs> I, I remember growing up, the sun was orange. The sun was, you know, and then it, it, pretty yellow, but now it's like a fluorescent white light bulb up there. I don't know what the neck you said. I think you said it's going to turn blue next, which is insane. We have, uh, I hear you talk about a second magnetic field. I know our magnetic field is rapidly moving towards Siberia at a ridiculous rate, and we may experience a magnetic uh, sh pole shift of some sort. So what do we have to look forward to uh, when it comes to some of that stuff? Again, October of 2024. And if I'm going to, do you mind if I take it at a, a level deep on the woo-woo here? Yeah, sure. Of course. That's what we're all about. All right. Excellent. Uh, if, you, if anybody has uh, say orbital geometry software, or you can see where the planets are going to move. Here's a good one for everybody. It's a free one. It's called solar system scope. And you just go into your browser and put solarsystemscope.com and it'll bring you up to this run model where you can zoom your planets around. Now, if you come up into October of 2024, I think it's around like October 23rd, 22nd, somewhere around there. The planets line up. So they're in a perfect square in the outer solar system. But then when you come into the inner solar system where we sit with the Earth and, and Venus and Mercury and the sun, it looks like the Kabbalah in the sky. It's squared, and then we got the line and everything's sitting on the line. Wow. So as I've heard, the elites are waiting for this particular solar alignment, this celestial alignment, to be able to uh, enact some of their spells or whatnot. But they've been waiting for this for thousands of years because the last time this exact... Geometry we're going to see here in October is from 79 AD, 79 AD. That is the last time that this geometry occurred in our sky. So it makes sense to me why the elite were riding and waiting for this next solar, you know, this celestial alignment to come in. This is it. This is exactly what it is. October of 2024. They're waiting for that same alignment. And then I started looking at it going, whoa, it does look like the Kabbalah in the sky. And I was going, whoa, something deep is happening here. And that's kind of where my research leaves me today. But we are going to see plasma displays in the sky. So, you know, perhaps, I'm just saying perhaps, you know, we've all heard of Project Bluebeam, 
Perhaps that is a way to deflect when when you really see plasma displays in the sky, you'll go, oh, that's Project Bluebeam. Instead of going, no, that is our Earth's atmosphere that is more highly charged electrically that that plasma can hold state up there for 8, 10, 20 seconds and look like something that jumped off a canyon wall in Chaco Canyons or the desert southwest. Oh, no, it's Project Bluebeam. Don't worry about it. Go back to sleep. Right. It's not a plasma. Our skies are just fine. Our Earth's atmosphere did not compress 30 miles in these last six months. It did not do that. It's just fine. Go back to work, pay your taxes, obey the rule of law, and remember to invest in your 401k, Chris. Night, night. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Man, and what, yeah, what right? is, that's exactly what they're trying to do. Yes, exactly. Um, what is some of the extent of not only things that we might see in the sky, but you mentioned volcanoes might uh, be going off, earthquakes, things of that nature. How, you know, how, how bad are these changes actually going to get? Technology-wise, all of our infrastructure rides on the surface of our crust. And as we get closer to this October 2024 celestial lineup, those four gas giants are going to also have some magnetic field tug that hasn't been here for almost 2,000 years. And our sun is stepping down. And when I say that, let's even talk about the top one mile of the crust. You're going to start to see things that don't make sense. All these train derailments are like, oh, the track slipped. The earth crust actually moved and the tracks rifted. You see how many bridges are being pulled out of the banks? You see roadways that have just slid away for no reason. There's some farmer fields in Minnesota that uplifted 30 feet. These are the kind of events that you're looking for because the pipelines, the water pipes, oil pipes, natural gas pipes, uh, even diesel fuel and distillates and different types of uh, refined product pipelines that get moved through DEF, for example. Uh, the fiber optic conduits, anything that can deliver fiber optic. We have the electrical conduits that's under there. And then we have, uh, you know, anything that is in the crust is going to be affected, be pulled apart. You know, how many electrical fires, you know, what's another thing that's interesting is how many electrical fires have we seen in places beyond what is just for food? Like there's been a lot of fires in other places. Now, just I'm going to be devil's advocate here for a second. If the earth were to rift and pull those electric conduits away and snap them and pull them and have live arcing wires still. If that were able to spread through and then arc and then charge something else and cause sparks and hit it off and cause, cause a fire in other places. These are the kind of strangeness that you would expect as things rift. Well, what if something rifted in a natural gas pipeline got pulled apart and something else next to it or near it running electrical was also arcing and then boom, then you have a fire in there from all natural causes. Nothing nefarious, but these food plants are something definitely looking nefarious. I'm talking, there's so many industrial accidents happening. And again, they come back and they blame it on not enough staff because of COVID. Well, you can't tell me not enough staff because of COVID. And we have had two rail lines rift out from under trains. One was the fertilizer train up in Canada. And the other one was uh, this the coal train that just fell off the tracks magically two instances within a few hundred miles of each other of that same phenomenon. And if you look electrically where some of these uh, like halo events are in the sky, and if you trace them down onto the ground, you're, start, you're going to start to see lines of where these electrical things are happening in our crust. And I'm trying to use GIS software and map these events out and then get a better indication of, okay, here's the ridge of electrical 
uh, lining running through the crust. So you can expect crop disruptions here because local weather events are going to be more amplified as there's more electrical charge in those areas. So that's kind of where my research is, you know, along with the geometry of the planets. So my mind's already kind of going off to see and map this stuff out. Now, what then you can get a real good indication of where it's going to happen first and, you know, look for the events. But crustal anomalies is going to be the big thing. Not a lot of people are talking about either. Yeah. Uh, you, yeah, that's uh, I've seen areas. Yeah, have you seen some stuff cracks too? in the you ground? Um, yeah, that's you know, stuff. places that's exactly opening wide up. Yeah, man, I've seen that for a long time. It's happening all over. Um, let's talk about the go back to the sun for a minute. How I mentioned it's different colors. Mm-hmm. What is going on with that? And what is going to be the end result? What how you know, what kind of changes are our sun going through right now? So this is where I'm kind of, I don't have some answers, but I have some ideas. So John Casey, if you go to his book, Dark Winter, the original what not, uh, you have to go way back to Dark Winter, the original, the book cover on there, he has a blue sun. So if you're looking at it in the different am- angstrom wavelengths, if you, if you, and again, if you go red, orange, yellow, blue, green, indigo, violet. So if you change that Roy G. Biv, like in the light spectrum, red, orange, yellow that you referenced, blue now we could be in that phase state change between colors because it almost could be yellow but it's trying to hold and move into the blue but it's white for just that second before it snaps in but for us from humans we're looking at it and you know it seems like a long time that it's been holding white up there well in a cosmic age i mean that's so fast in a blink of an eye it's almost like a stoplight changing where it's uh, it, it's yellow it's white oh there's blue you know it's just that instant because if you look you know, sometimes colors before they change, they just get to that white before they snap into the newest color they're going to take on the spectral range there. So that's what I would say with that. The reason John Casey's book. And then also, if you're going to step it down, if we're coming into a cooler age, we're at the end of the interglacial, you would expect, and I'm not saying maybe in our lifetime, but you would expect the trend would be toward a less active sun bringing us into the next ice age. And as that would happen, you know, there's many, many, many legends up there talking about the sun even being green. Again, red, orange, yellow, blue, green. So that was even one step down for where the blue would be. Now, and then it, they talk about how the sun is, yeah, and then it's almost like a dark ember up in the sky. It gets that dim at times in our ice ages. Something's firing that star external, externally to get it to glow back up or go into a low activity state. Now, its heart beats 90,000 years. Now, I would imagine with all these changes that, that's occurring on the sun, we would have other things, other effects that we might have to worry about, such as like solar flares or CMEs. I don't know. What do you think about that? How many distractions are out in the world right now? Tons. Because the more intense this is getting that you're going to notice, the more distractions they'll be thrown at you. So it seems... I don't know. So maybe I'll ask you, Chris, like when you're watching the news, do you remember when that kind of big story would be around for a week or so or two, and then it would go off. But now it seems like we get a big story twice a day. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading the news too much. Oh man. Well, I try to stay away from it, but you're right. You're absolutely right. Being in what I do, I I can't avoid hearing about everything that's happening. And the world is definitely a stage, my friend. (laughs) Yeah, because you're going to notice these things. And since you're noticing it, you're going to get angry about it. And if enough people notice at the same time and start to organize, that's the danger for the elite in this last crucial moments to prepare before the chaos unfolds and things are unavailable truly. Because on the surface here, it'll just be Mad Max, like you say. So they're going to get all prepped out and be under or wherever 
who knows off earth who knows elysium you know that floating thing I, I, there's a lot of things possible but the, a majority of elite population is going to skedaddle here and get out of the way for next 30 years until this thing moves through its cycle and bounces back enough where things are considered stable enough for governments to reform and economies to reform. During this time, everything is going to de-evolve or dissolve into, we're ne we never were going back to normal anyway. That was a lie to get people to, uh, to do things with their bodies. That was such a lie. You could see through that, that you closed every business, that you thought everything was going to bounce back. Yeah. Governments told people, yeah, get more Airbnbs. Flights are going to be cheaper. Do I work from home. Everything's autonomous. Everything's online. Hey, digital nomads everywhere. Hey, and then all of a sudden they knocked that out at the knees. Like what? Oh, yeah, but everybody that had 10 Airbnbs that's completely underwater had to just sell everything and they're walking around in the backpack homeless now. It's just going to go start magically back and having 10 Airbnbs and your flights are going to rock back when there's no pilots now. Uh yeah. That was such a fallacy that they were going to bring back to normal. That was such a talking point. Yeah, we've been so and here we are in the normal. abnormal, which is the normal. And it's going to get more bizarre as we move forward with the electric. And I was, one other thing here. People are going to start to behave strangely. Now, I don't mean you're already seeing it, right? You're already seeing it. Yeah. But as the electromagnetic field from the sun changes, the magnetic hemispheres of people's brains are going to change in sync with that. So the perception, maybe they'll have more people going, ah, oh, there's something right there and you can't see it. Well, they're in that frequency now that they can. And they're starting to perceive reality in a different way, shape and form. So the top down pyramid structure that we've had for what the last 500 or 800 years strong of that top down, I would say fit 1400s, that's not going to work anymore in a new vibratory pattern. So that needs to dissolve as well. So that's why people are seeing through the illusion so quickly because our vibration state is moving up higher as we, we enter into this stage. But the old heavier and I should say denser iron energies that have kept humanity down for such a long time are still vibrating at that heavy density iron energies that are very slow and dark and heavy where you know the sun's moving faster with this vibration and humanity's picking up on that and we're starting to vibrate a little faster. That's why there's a lot of people questioning a lot of things. And as we move forward, it's, the elite are going to have more trouble keeping everybody uh, in check because our brains are going to start to behave differently. And as an elite power, how would you try to distract during this time and stop people from organizing? Yeah. Yeah, we see this mass awakening happen, and that's what uh, that's what gives me uh, little bits of hope that we may be able to, uh, you know, not prevent what's cosmically happening, but you know, see through the the facade of everything and uh, prepare ourselves, and maybe start to have our own sustainable systems to where if the the system crashes, maybe we'll have a little something left over after the end. Uh, that's what I'm hopeful for, but. Uh, you're talking about the, the kind of crazy changes that uh, people are going to start having amongst their consciousness. Um, mm -hmm. The Earth is, I believe, you know, alive, a, a living thing, and we see the Schumann resonance is like its heartbeat, and that has been erratically changing for years. Um, and I see the, you know, the inner Earth and the core kind of like the veins of the Earth. Um, there's also, I've heard that uh, researchers say that the, the core is expanding at this point, too, which would also trigger more earthquakes and volcanic activity. Is that right? I can't attest for the core 
data and research, but I will say there's a, a very strong correlation above 90% of these really weak solar magnetic field events on the decade level or longer. And the matchup with VEI six eruptions, VEI seven eruptions and mega quakes. So you got to think about its magnetism and, you know, our earth has been held really tight. Think about how two magnets were squeezed together really tight. And then suddenly one of the magnets lets go. Well, the other one's going to slip. And that's the same with what's happening with our crust. And if you look at the different layers from when you consider the atmosphere or the crust, which is negatively charged, you know, if there's a differential in that charge and there's some change, then something has to equalize. Something's going to equalize. Now it could be uh, a discharge ground to sky lightning. It could be tectonic movements. It could be pressure release off of the crust in a volcano. But whatever happened, again, all comes back to that same thing, electromagnetism. And when that structure changes of things that have been locked in place or staying locked in place, when they get loose, you start to see all these effects again. And I'm just wondering what's next. What's the next large thing that's going to disrupt humanity? Mm. Well, we've uh, we've seen all the agendas play out so far. You have, you know, COVID and um, Ukraine and false flag uh, operations, um, uh, staged events, shootings, uh, um, monkeypox, and uh, now food shortages. So uh, it's gonna, you know, we we're gonna see another agenda. They're not just gonna stop. I'm I'm surprised that we're not seeing more of the the COVID and, and vax nonsense. Uh, they spent a lot of time and money and effort to try and get uh, people injected with those experiments so i don't know if that's gonna just go by the wayside or what uh but we always have something else to look forward to with this one thing i do i had a a question for you about is what they're spraying in the sky and the purpose um i've had other researchers on that believe that have different um differing opinions on what's going on but one of the things that makes sense to me is that they're trying to uh, shield the amount of radiation coming in from the planet by by spraying these aluminum and particulates or and whatever else they're spraying. But I want to get your take on that and uh, you know what you think that they're doing up there with these aerosol injections. Yeah, I had a chance to talk with Jim Lee for a while. I've known Jim for uh, ah, he's coming years. on next week. Oh yeah, great. He, yeah. His whoa. The depth and breadth of knowledge that he contains. Wow. In and out, up and down, by far the premier leading researching expert on this aerosol geoengineering on the planet. You know, Wigington's uh, should be a, just a protege of Jim's. That's how high he is. levels above anything Dane's doing. Yeah, Dane's got a lot of research, but the way that Jim looks at it, it's a completely different way to analyze the information. So if you're going to, anybody's going to stick around for one, you definitely want to watch Jim Lee from Climate Viewer. That's the one you want to watch. So he and I had talked and, you know, we agree on a lot of the things with the, you know, bond, strontium, barium, aluminum, et cetera. Now, the one thing I was bringing to the table was because of this increase in cosmic radiation, what you're talking about, particulates. Morpheus, code name or pen name, wrote an article, this is way back in like 2016, talking about stratospheric geoengineering being a cover for cosmic radiation management. Because he goes into it, you know, you got choice A or B, you can, you know, say that, hey, they're spraying the skies, 
they're trying to dim the earth. That goes along with Bill Gates, this whole thing. And they're going to dim the earth. They're going to try to stop global warming. Okay, that's you got to sell that to the public, A. B is, by the way, all these changes that David's talking about, these 400-year cycles and John Casey and all these other researchers out there that have been saying grand solar minimum, massive changes on a 400-year or a 2,000-year cycle, there's going to be huge changes with the amount of radiation reaching the planet. And if we spray this stuff up there, whenever a cosmic ray hits that, it loses its charge. If we don't spray it, those cosmic rays are going to come cascading down through the atmosphere and cause 7x more rain on our planet. The amount of clouds that would be built will be 7x more than if we don't spray that up there. And we're going to have biblical floods, once in a thousand year flood, every single storm to the point where we're going to get a cloud planet. And this is where it takes me into, I wonder what happens after we get to that albedo effect where the sun steps down, we're in a cloud-based planet because of so many cosmic rays entering our atmosphere then what kind of runaway does that take us to? But keep going and paying your taxes and obey the rule of law. See, you know, having mothers organize against, you know, spraying in the skies is one thing. But having coming clean with the populace, like we need to do this to mitigate cosmic rays and the sun stepping down. And then you open up the whole can of worms for free power off the ether. And, you know, you could see where that was going to go already. They definitely did not come clean. And I'm going to say I'll agree with that. It's for sure cosmic radiation management. Now, uh, you just kind of mentioned what I wanted to get into the next, the free energy aspects and possibilities that you're talking about if the sun indeed has these um, electromagnetic filaments that could, you know, basically power anything on our, our planet, right? Uh, and the fact that they probably already knew this, knew this for, for a long time, and keep the, the free energy from us because we would be uh, we wouldn't need them we wouldn't need daddy government and everything that you're trying to provide for us if we had this um, now is this uh, could you explain a little bit about the possibilities of this and how it would uh, basically create some sort of free energy for us this state of matter exists around us 99.999 percent of all the universe itself is plasma this is in state, what you think is space between planets is full. This, what you would consider space between ourselves or you and an object is gas atoms. There's no disconnect in that electrical field from me to this wall. My atom off my skin connects to that H2O atom or that nitrogen atom or whatever it is that connects to the next one to create air. And I am connected to that wall literally through energy and same with that space between people. There's no space there. It's elect it's atoms that are vibrating faster that you can't see them. So you're still in the energy field completely and wholly never disconnected from it. When I'll take it another step up larger where that sun and all of our planets are in a plasma field, not disconnected from it, but in it wholly. So our earth is at like, you know, we're looking through, vibrating quick atoms for gases we're looking through what looks like empty space between planets but they exist in a plasma field they're not disconnected either and once you start to understand the principle of that plasma that they call it the ether is the older name for it that energy state the base state for it recently in quantum physics they started to call it like qubits that energy layer that connects all 
and things that build off of that. We are not disconnected from it, connects every fiber of every possible inch of our entire universe here in this third dimensional space. There's nothing that doesn't exist within that. And once you start to get it, that we're immersed in it, that we're never disconnected from it, and the consciousness of God as well, we're immersed in it. We'd never disconnect from that. We're talking about physical vibrating energy versus a consciousness thought and vibration of light and love. They're similar, but not disconnected. They still intertwine through all time and space here. But the thing is that ether is around us and is a vibratory pattern that would allow you to draw that directly from the atmosphere and harness that at source in your house on the top of buildings. You could draw it in, but there's no money in that. There's no profit. You never have to work. You never have to pay bills. Once it's installed, you're free. You're never on the teat of the government ever. You always have free limitless power. You never have to work for energy or, you know, and then you start taking the next stuff up to weightless travel. It's about pulling what is already innately around us. Always has been, always will be. We're never disconnected. And that is the true power source of the universe. What we could tap into, but we choose to burn dust from the earth's crust. Wow, there's so many layers of deceptions and distractions uh, to keep us from, like you just said, not having to suck off the teat of the government, not having to to rely on them for everything that we need when it, we could be self-sufficient and we already have everything we need. We just don't know it yet. Uh, so I think that this is a critical time in human history to where if we do come out on the, the other side of this, maybe it's our time to have access to this knowledge and these abilities and these things. And uh, maybe we can kick those elites the hell out of here. I don't know. Yeah, but what do you think? How do you think life would be different if we did not have to pay for just energy? Forget the food. We didn't have to pay for energy. How would everybody's life be different, do you think? Just that one aspect. Yeah. It'd be completely different. I mean, like you said, we wouldn't have to worry about it. We would just be able to go about our lives and do the things that we need to survive and live and be productive and uh, happy human beings. And that's all we need. They think, you know, of course, we need uh, TV and uh, social media and vehicles and, and all this other stuff to, to be functioning humans. But, you know, once we realize that all we need is, uh, you know, just to exist here and that's we all we ever needed, that's the biggest threat to them, I think. Um, now, you said that they might be planning on going underground or maybe even off planet. How sustainable is underground if, if this indeed gets as bad as we think it's going to get? Well, it depends on how far underground you're talking about here. Mm. You know, what we're talking about in the, in the crustal uh, anomalies and this sort of thing, several miles down. But if you went 300 miles down into the crust, that's a whole different story. Nothing touches you there. So even if you had like 10.0 earthquakes up here, 300 miles down, no, you're not going to be, you might feel some minor rumbles here or there coming through on a wave pattern, but otherwise... If you were two miles under the earth and that were to happen, yeah, you'd get cave-ins and probably not make it out. But we really need to talk about depth because, uh, you know, again, come back to legends and stories and reports and accounts and everything. You go back as far as you can go back in human recorded history and they talk about 
the depths of the earth being hollow in different societies and civilizations living down there and light sources and food sources so deep down underground. And it's a repeat and rinse and repeat. And I don't care if you're up in the Himalaya or you're in remote uh, Himalaya or uh, remote uh, South American rainforest way out in the middle of the Amazon or you're somewhere down in Australia or wherever you are. And those people were supposedly disconnected for 50,000 years or 100,000 years. And we only ever came together in the last 700 by boats or something. They all have the exact same stories, exactly the same stories. So uh, for me, you know, I start to look at some these ancient accounts of where people went, how did they hide, where did, where did they survive cataclysms, who emerged after the cataclysms, and where did they come from? And they always seem to have the similar vein of emergence underground, reemergence, walking for weeks and weeks and weeks uh, to get to places underground, and then uh, they come out into this civilization that's been there for a million years, and then it never has had any tumultuous weather events, cosmic bombardments, earthquakes, or volcanoes to disrupt its progression of whatever it, it was built. But I find it so interesting that through history for the last at least 8,000 years, the stories are all the same, all the same. Yeah. So where would they go? And, you know, I think there is some truth to some of the movies that we are seeing. And Elysium was a really good one about off world. Well, I should say upper atmosphere for our, our earth of something in orbit up there. You know, it was an elite palace that was orbiting, you know, where there was no crime and those multi-billion dollar houses up there. And you could only get to it by spacecraft. Right. Something similar, perhaps. And then there was another really good movie that I encourage everybody to watch called Jupiter Ascending. Yeah. And it was about, you know, Jupiter being the home base and the Earth being a farm, which was used to extract minerals. And they set up the society with overseers gave people wealth to keep them uh, productive in extracting minerals. And that was all taken off earth. So, you know, where do we sit in there? Somewhere lies the truth. Same with star Wars. Somewhere lies the truth. Yeah. Oh, I, I completely agree that they show us um, so much of our reality in movies, um, mainly to, to get us to dismiss it, that it's not reality. But, you know, there's probably many other reasons why they're actually including in this in us. And, uh, you know, one of them, I think that maybe it's a, a sort of warning or, uh, you know, nod to what really is going on in our reality. Uh, now, for the last few minutes that we have, David, what do you think is the safest places that will be besides underground or off planet uh, in, on, on, the, on our planet right now or in the near future? Well, you, t you know, you have to say it. there's a whole range of things to think about population density near you, uh, resources that could help you grow food, people around you that are of like mind and same moral values and common sense. And then the actual physical location has it survived through some of these uh, cooler periods. And then the governmental unrest itself, like would an army sweep through there? So when you start to getting these different layers of threat analysis and possibility. You know, I thought Republic of Georgia was going to be a real good spot there for a while. I was considering heading over there to check that out just, just before COVID. That's an interesting thing. Like just minutes before COVID, I was planning to head over Republic of Georgia, excuse me, because they have grown wine straight, straight for 8,000 years. Even some of the stories after the Ark and Mount Ararat, uh, some of the first places that supposedly out of the business 
biblical references, uh, the ark had landed up on Mount Ararat, and the first places that they planted wine vines again was within sight of where the ark had landed on the mount. And that was Republic of Georgia, just over there on the other side of the Caucasus. So, Sumba Island in Indonesia would be another one of my must be definitely on the top 10 safe zones of the planet. Now, again, we have governmental regulation. Could you obtain a forever visa there? Sumba Island, you know, 300 miles long, 100 miles wide. Some of the densest, thickest, most lush vegetation on the planet, plus good surfing, cool people. And that would have been another one. But, you know, out here where I live in the Southeast U.S., anywhere, I just drove up to Virginia this last week. I went to go visit Joel Salatin's farm at Polyface Farms to go see what they're doing with sustainable agriculture. And that whole area on Western Virginia, going up through the Allegheny there and the uh, getting up into the sort of West Virginia, but I think it's going to be too cold up there. But the remoteness was top notch. I mean, I couldn't have chosen better places for remoteness. Like armies couldn't even sweep through there and find everybody. Be too remote. So you want to look for some of these locations, like where, is it, where does it start to get really remote in a state? You know, out here in East Tennessee, you get lost. I mean, we're just four miles from the Cherokee National Forest out in farming country. You got to turn down a road, turn down a road, turn down a road. And we're the last power pole up here and it stops. So how remote can you get, but still be a little bit close to connected? But you got to think about these threat analyses. How close are you to a major population center? And, you know, Chris, how likely do you think that it is that a government could invade the U.S. or our own troops to go in areas and start to try to pill for everybody's resources or try to actually do ops and, and move through and clear areas? And how far do you think they would get? Because the Second Amendment is allowing us to stop some of this. But without that, there seems to be the push on the same timeline to disarm everybody, too. So when I look at those two in history and go, mm, no, no, no. Every time I see the disarming, something nefarious comes afterwards. So, you know, what's this all out push? See, 2024, October, they're really trying to do something right now to get everybody's firearms away from them in the next minute or so because they need everybody disarmed moving forward. Yeah. Now, so do you as, think an army would sweep through America and be able to get way out into these hinterlands here, way out into the remotest parts of America, or would they just be pretty much stuck in the cities and some of the suburbs? I think, you know, they, they would probably be most likely stuck in the cities. Uh, I'm sure they would be able to access some areas, not all of them. Uh, you know, it just makes me wonder how much society will crumble in the next uh, a few years. So let's look at a timeline that people can possibly be aware of. You said October is the first, you know, big thing that we're going to start seeing uh, hints that we're, we're headed into some, some Mad Max territory. Uh, what comes next as far as uh, our climate changes and major changes that we're going to start to, to definitely see, and when should we start looking towards that? Uh, from now to 2024, but, you know, that's kind of dropping off the importance level of saying, okay, we saw this thing in the sky, or okay, there's another earthquake. There was, you need to start responding about your food, your food production, your self-sufficiency, your community, because those things are going to take place naturally, whether you study them all day long or you don't look at them, they're still coming. 
But what you have more control over is going to be your ability to grow food. That's what's coming. And see, it's really going to start to hit. The, the digital rationing cards are going to be here by the end of the year. So if I'm anywhere remotely close, they're going to start to issue digital rationing cards. And as we come into the end of this year, the amount of panic on, those, on the planet is going to just send people into such motion that you're not going to, you'll never see anything like it except maybe World War II in the, at the end of the 1930s when people really started to migrate around and get more, get more uh, out of the way of the danger. How do you think these, every, these digital rationing cards are going to work? What, uh, you know, how, how are they going to enforce that? Well, they're going to make the stores enforce it. And you're going to start to see troops and armed people inside your supermarkets. Now, have you noticed all the mom and pop supermarkets have been wiped away during COVID? I don't think that was an accident. Yeah. I think that was planned. Yeah. Because pretty much, and I'm not going to say 100%, but I'm going to say pretty much above 80% of what is left out there in the world after this COVID shutdown thing is corporate business. And corporate business will do what corporate is told to do. So if you only have Sam's Club and Walmart and uh, what's another one, Costco and something like this available, mm -hmm. Aldi, and that's it, Kroger, Kroger and that's it, yeah. that's the only thing available in your town, Yeah. and they require digital rationing cards, then there's nowhere else for you to go. So they've, they've eliminated all of the possible competition or all the possible other avenues for you to go out and find food, except for your local farmers. So if they do, do move to a digital rationing card, how long did it take them to move to have enforcers at the door? Put on a mask. You don't want to put on a mask, you're not allowed in. Or you get arrested, you're trespassing because you're, you're in here, but you don't have a mask on. Okay, that took about, what, a fifth and an eighth of a second for everybody to be the tattletale. It's the most ridiculous thing how everybody turned on everybody, how quickly it happened. It may, may, just how sickening that was to watch it unfold. Yeah. But how qu quickly could it be done because they've already pre-trained everybody once. So they don't have to really pre-train you twice. They're going to go jump through the hoop again. Okay. Digital ration card. Yes, sir. How much, how many people can I turn in? They're buying from farms. <laughs> Do I get an extra loaf of bread and an extra pound of butter? If I turn in my neighbor because they bought from a farm, mm. this is where they're going to go. Well, what so I have hope be... about is the consciousness evolution aspect that we were discussing earlier, that people are waking up, we're becoming uh, more enlightened and uh, more awakened, and we're evolving in certain ways. And I see a lot of people doing that, although there are a lot of people who are devolving or just stuck and not moving. Uh, that would gives me hope that maybe we can buck up against some of this stuff. Yeah, how many people will do that with a starving family, though? This is the problem we're running into is food is the ultimate control weapon. I would agree if food was not used, because if they try to do 2.0 with this whole COVID wear your mask thing again, oh, it'd be a no-go this time. Absolute no-go. But when you start withholding food and making obedience part of your food ration, you can change society in three or four days. And the people that have not prepared yet, I feel so sorry for them. They're not going to know what's coming and they're going to get hit blindsided and they're still going to believe that everything's going back to normal. And I don't know what I would say, not, not even remotely close to enough people have prepared for what's coming. I feel like even though I've done stuff for years and years and years that I'm still not really ready. So what about somebody who's just learning about this today? I mean, what percentage of the population do you think is prepared enough to get through food insecurity for a full year and not have to rely on oh man, it's a tiny centralized amount. systems as much. Yeah. 
It's a tiny amount. I mean, I can look at tiny. even a small portion of the community that we're involved with has is prepared. So, you know, you take that and you make that even smaller. That's not many people, you know. So, and they're going to be the ones that are be the enforcers because they'll be fed and their children will be fed and their wife will be fed or their husband will be. I mean, you're watching your children starving to death mm-hmm. from no food or so emaciated that they're getting sick because they don't have enough vitamins and minerals in their body and their hunger pains. And that's all they do is dream and think about food seven days a week, 24 seven. That's going to move people to do strange things, you know, and then yeah. the, the way they rationalize the morality of either killing somebody or burglarizing or whatever they do to get that food. The morality rationale is my kids die. I'm, you're standing in my way. And they've just done so many sociological studies over the last hundred years. And when you start read about the barbarism of people, the way they change when they get hungry, a man by himself is going to be your least thing to worry about. Yeah, you might have some armed dudes come rocking up your driveway, but if you have a few neighbors together, you could take care of that. That's a direct thing one-on-one. That's your least scary thing to think about. The scariest is a starving family that comes knocking up on your door mm-hmm. and they know you have food inside and their kids are starving and they can't move another muscle because they're so malnourished. They really can't move and they're screaming, mom, I'm hungry, dad, I'm hungry. Those parents are going to do anything they can to get between you and through your door to get food for their kids. Not a lot of people are thinking about the choices they're going to have to make, but people have not gotten ready and it's not my fault. They haven't. The distractions are there. I mean, the way the media machine works and the way our schooling system works, Mm. it creates robots. It does. Yeah, and they want to There's put a us, lot of malnourished yeah. robots soon to in the in the ro- in the zombie movies I think are the the state of our world with no food. Yeah, they have this illusion that they want to put us in this matrix inside of a matrix, the metaverse, but I don't I don't see us making it there. Uh you know, with everything that we just discussed, uh you know, we it, we may be lucky if our our technology that as we know it is still around in 10 years. Uh but we're man, we're in some very important times, very critical times, very important for people to to follow your work and things you're doing. Uh David, thank you so much. This was great. We're going to have to do this again, hopefully, uh if we can, uh within the next few months as long as everything's still running uh let the audience know where they can find your work and and everything you got going video platforms you're going to look for adapt 2030 odyssey rumble bitchute brighteon and youtube and the podcast mini ice age conversations podcast that's anywhere podcast hosts across the net because i know a lot of people have their own favorite player but pretty much on all the different streaming services that there could be. It's going to be such a strange world we're moving into. I just, you know, I'm trying to get mentally repaired. That's about the best thing I can say is your physical body is one vessel to think about. But up here, this is another whole entirely vessel, different vessel to be thinking about. These two are disconnected, but they are connected. But the way your mind is going to work during these times and things you're going to see and choices you're going to have to make. You know, you're going to have to get some mental prep ready for situations like play it out in your head. What if, what if, what if? So it doesn't just happen to you and you never thought about it. And then you have to make the choice right then, which is probably going to be the worst choice because you just are unfaced and you'll do it out of fear. But you're going to have to make choices to move through and you are going to have to adapt every day, every week, every month as we 
get through. And if you can get through to 2030 or 2032, you will be the new world. You'll be leading the new world and rebuilding it. So I don't know how many people that will be at the end of this. Now, as Georgia Guidestones, as, as nefarious as they are, the trajectory we're on now, and I'm not saying that the, time, the timelines could very well change, things could change, everything could stop and reverse itself. I'm just saying right now, as it's moving forward, the present course we're on. I don't know if there'll be five, there'll be just barely 500,000 people here, just the way it's working now mm-hmm. by the time 2030 rolls around. And forget the whole uh, having to execute people and all that stuff, just nature will do it anyway. The starvation will do it. The infighting will do it. The breakdown in society and the breakdowns in medicine and non-deliverables, that'll do it anyway. Hmm. They just have to wait for a few years and turn off the services. Yeah. Turn off the centralized systems that we relied on. Everybody got lazy and doesn't even know how to go down and use a willow tree to make aspirin out of the bark. That kind of laziness has gotten us to where we sit today. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I hope you, like you said, it's not too late. I hope there's still time to bring awareness to people. I have hope, I have faith in people that are awakening and that maybe we could uh, lead a few of us into the new world and have a a better existence afterward. Uh, David, thank you so much. That was fantastic. And we're definitely going to have to do this again uh, to keep us uh, up to date on some of this stuff soon. Now, can I leave one last thought? Of course. With this all being said, there's going to be more change than ever in the history of humanity right now. So the opportunities out there are going to be the most in human history ever. But it's going to be based on a need that people have not thought about yet or filling in a gap to help people live better lives. And again, I'll say that that the amount of opportunity that exists right now has never been higher. In all of combined human history, we are at the number one position in time right now to have the greatest opportunity of all humans ever who have lived on this planet ever. So put that into perspective on how you can help somebody get through this, enhance their life, enrich your life. And if you do that, you're going to find that sweet spot niche and you're going to flourish and be you know, part of the new world and uh, hopefully use your resources and your money for good to help other people who are going to lose their land during this time. Like maybe buy their farmland and keep them on it and then sell it back to them after this. There's a lot of things you can do with with your uh, resources to help others during this transition as well. Yeah, it's not all doom and gloom. You're going to see a lot of that, but you're going to see some, you know, bursts of light in the middle there, too. Yeah, I love it. That's a great way to end on. David, thank you so much. And we'll definitely be in touch here and talk again soon. All right. Thanks. Bye for now. Bye. Until next time, everyone, have an excellent evening. We'll talk again tomorrow. We'll see you then.